Keep praying for you. I'm, I'm telling you, it's heartbreaking to, to see this. And, uh, and so, but uh, we're going to talk about changes that God wants to make in us. I, I titled tonight, Making the Difficult Changes. And, uh, and, and you know, God, God loves you the way you are, right? He loves you right where you are, just like you are. But here's the thing. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. And I'm thankful he didn't leave me where I was when I, when I first got saved. His goal is to make us more and more like Jesus, you know, and, and that's a good thing, right? I mean, Jesus did a good job. He's a great, great guy when he was here, never sinned, and uh, wouldn't that be cool? So how does he do that? He doesn't just zap us. I mean, you don't get saved, and all of a sudden, you're wearing robes, you have a beard, and long brown hair. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. You're not, you know, you're not automatically having the character of Jesus. It's a, it's, it, that would be too easy, right? It's a slow process. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And uh, he said this, So all of us who have had the veil removed, and that veil blinds people to the gospel. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody about your faith, and it's just like, I mean, they're just blind. They're just not, and you're going, you want to choke them. I mean, that's not good evangelism, but you want to choke them because, because you're going, how can you not see that? Well, they have a veil in front of their face. And so he said, who've had the veil removed and can see and reflect the glory of God, the Lord, and the Lord who is the Spirit, here's the way it works, makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. So the Holy Spirit does the process. He changes us to where we become more and more like Jesus every single day. Now we know Adam and Eve tried it the wrong way. The serpent said, you'll be like God if you eat this apple. And so they violated what God wanted them to do thinking that would make them like God. And so we want to do it God's way, all right? And, uh, and so it's a process. It doesn't happen all at one time. Uh, and, and so I love the way the message says it. It said, all of us, nothing between us and God, our faces shining with brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. So we become much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually become brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become more like him. We become brighter and, and, and more beautiful in God's, and, and as far as reflecting the glory of God. And so um, I, I love that because that's, that's the process. We become a little bit more like God or like Jesus every single day. Now, classic chapter on, Bible, on growth in the Bible is Ephesians 4. And we're going to get some truths from Ephesians 4 tonight. And so we're going to answer the question, why is it so difficult to change? How many of you have ever had a habit you tried to quit? Like eating dessert, like smoking, or whatever, you know what I mean? Habits are hard. Habits are hard to quit. And, and, and uh, you know, and so they're difficult. Have you ever wondered why they're so difficult? I'm going to give you a few reasons why they are. Number one, write this down, because you've had them for a while. You've had those bad habits for a while, all right? I mean, you, you didn't get messed up overnight. You worked hard at it for a long time. I mean, uh, you know, it, it took a while to collect all the bad habits that you've got and hang-ups that you struggle with. Uh, right, Larry? I mean, you know. <laughs> it took us a while to get this way. And, and, uh, and so uh, we struggle with them. A lot of patterns uh, of behavior we have as an adult really began in childhood. And, th and those patterns may, uh, may help us cope with emotional uh, things for a while, emotionally may help us, and sometimes they're actually survival tactics, 
And, uh, but as an adult, these bad habits become self-defeating. And as but as damaging as they are, uh, they've actually, you got used to them because they kind of have become part of who we are. And, uh, and, and you might say, well, is anybody in here besides me ever, ever said or heard somebody say, well, it's just the way I am. Well, you're talking about your bad habits. Usually we're not talking about our good habits. I mean, nobody has to say, well, that's just the way I am when they just won the Wimbledon tennis tournament. You know, they say, well, that's just the way I am. Usually when they've blown their temper at somebody or they've said something they shouldn't have said, well, that's just the way I am. And what you see is what you get. Well, what, what I see sometimes isn't what we need to get. And, uh, and so, but, but we've had these bad habits for a while. Secondly, it would be reason it's difficult to change is because I identify with them. I identify with my bad habits. You know, often we... Uh, confuse our identity with our weaknesses. We'll say stuff like, I'm a workaholic, or I'm passive-aggressive, or I'm nervous when I get on a plane. You know what's going to happen when you get on a plane if you're saying that, right? You're going to be nervous. Uh, You know, or, um, you know, we'll say something like, I'm an overeater. I expected an amen out of River Church on that. I mean, we like to eat over here in this place. Uh, You know, or I'm shy. Uh, you know, or you, you, when you say things like that, you kind of start focusing on those things. And if you say, well, I'm shy, you're shy. But a lot of times, those are just covering up uh, weaknesses that we have. We're using that, and we identify with that. And, uh, and, and so, uh, in the back of the mind, your mind, you'll wonder, uh, if you change, would you still be you? You know, because we begin to identify, well, I'm shy. I'm shy. Y'all believe, let me tell you something. I used to be shy. Can y'all believe that? I was. Matter of fact, people in high school thought I was stuck up because I was so shy. I didn't talk to people. I wasn't like I am now. I'm making up for lost time, I guess. I don't know. Number three, it, but it, the reason it was hard to change is uh, everyone, uh, every defect has a payoff. You might be going, what? Listen, you might not realize this, but every fault you have, every bad habit you have has a payoff. If, if sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it, okay? I mean, nobody would sin if it was fun. It's fun for a minute. Every behavior has a payoff, and, and if it didn't, you wouldn't do it. So uh, write this down. Whatever is being repeated is being rewarded. Whatever, is being, whatever you're doing over and over and over again, there's some kind of reward for that. And, and, uh, and so uh, it, it, whether, even if the behavior is a self-defeating behavior, and, and, and it, there's a reward that you're getting from it, somewhere, somehow. If there wasn't a reward, you wouldn't keep doing it. And, uh, and, and so there's a payoff somewhere. And even though it might be temporary, there's a payoff for it. So, so think about this. Here's an example. Say you're, you're, it's time to eat. So your children, you say you call your kids and say, come to the table, it's time to eat. Well, they just keep playing. And so you yell at your kids and they come to the table. Guess what? You just learned that yelling works. Guess what else? They learned yelling works. They also learned you don't mean it until you yell. So now you're stuck. And when they have kids, guess what they're going to do? See, it's just there's a reward. I yelled, which I shouldn't have, but it worked. So I'm going to yell again. Just a simple little example. Sometimes the negative self-defeating behavior is masking pain. We hold on to it. Because it gives us an excuse to fail. I had a kid one time that he, uh, 
he was funny. They were talking to him. He was talking to some kids. And they said, well, what did you do in high school? He said, well, I went to prison in high school. I didn't, I didn't do high school. But uh, what happened with him in middle school, his brother, older brother, was an excellent student. So he didn't even try. He, all he did was mess up because it covered the pain of being a failure. If he didn't try, it was a little different. If he tried and he couldn't live up to his brother's reputation, then he was a failure, but not even trying. So in some ways, that self-defeating behavior hides other pain that we have. And, uh, and so there are a lot of different motivations that uh, we have for, for not doing things. Sometimes, uh, you know, these, these self-defeating behaviors uh, will actually set ourselves up for failure because it, it, it compensates for our shame. Because we feel bad about who we are, when we don't succeed, in a weird way, you feel better about it. I deserve that. I didn't deserve to be successful. What I did in the past, I deserve uh, this pain. And so uh, we begin to think those things. So anyway, there's a lot of different reasons for negative and self-defeating behavior. And there's a fourth one here, and I want you to write this down. The fourth is because Satan doesn't want you to change. Have you ever noticed the more you try and follow the Lord, the more the devil attacks you? He don't want you to be successful. As long as you're out living for the devil, he'll leave you alone. And, uh, and so he doesn't want you to improve your character and become more like Jesus. He wants you to fail. He doesn't want you to be a better husband. He doesn't want you to be a better dad. He doesn't want you to be successful in, in business and share a testimony. You know, he is constantly fighting to keep you from growing more like Jesus. And he does it by telling you things like this. Maybe you've heard some of these things. And, and usually these things are said in our own voice. Like, you'll never change. Any of us, you ever heard, heard that? You're trying to, trying to quit that habit. You'll never change. You might, not as well, you might as well not even try. You know, you've been this way all your life and you're not going to change. No matter what you try, it's not going to work. So just give up. Won't you just give up? And giving. There once lived you ever heard those things in your mind who are present for a trying to, to get over humanity's See, Those statements are coming from the devil. The devil has said that Jesus said about him, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy your life. And so Satan will also use fear. He'll get you to believe that, that you're just better to stay where you are. Life's going pretty good like it is. You know, if you step out and, and grow and really get to uh, living for Jesus, it might not be, you know, somebody might not like it. It might not go well, whatever. He'll do whatever he can to make you fear that if you rock the boat, guess what? You're going to lose friends. And guess what? When you start leaving, living for Jesus, you might lose some friends. The ones that were inviting you to go out to the bar drinking, going to stop calling you when y'all checking in on Facebook. Some people shocked at it, you know, and and, uh, and, and so, and, but it's a good witness. But guess what? They'll stop calling you to go drinking with them and stuff like that. So Satan will use all kinds of things. And those are some reasons we don't change. What I really want to focus on is how can we change? What's some, what does it take for real change to happen? How, how can we go from being miserable, and that's where I was, uh, to living an abundant life? See, John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. One of my favorite verses. I wanted that abundant life. When I accepted Christ, I was 17. I thought I was invincible until I turned 18 and had to register for the draft. But at 17, I was feeling pretty good. 
but I didn't feel good about how I was living. I was miserable. I wanted that peace. I wanted that abundant life. Now, when I met the lady at the draft board, eternal life became more real to me. But, uh, you know, um, because the way she was acting, I was on my way to Vietnam. But anyway, let's look at six characteristics of change. Number one, uh, and, and these are important. This, these are a process. Real change begins with new thinking. If you want to change your behavior, you don't focus on the behavior. You, you, you focus on your thoughts. You've got to change the way you think. You've, it, and that's why you focus on the thinking. It changes the way you think. Write this down. When you change your thinking, it will change your feelings, and, those will ch- and that will change your actions. So thoughts, feelings, and actions. They're, one's going to change the other. And, and so when you change how you feel, if you're angry, you can't just all of a sudden not be angry, but you can change your thoughts, which will change your feelings, which will change your actions. The battle is either won or lost right up here between your ears and your mind. That's where the battle is won or lost. Look what Paul said in Ephesians 4.23. He said, instead, let the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, renew your thoughts and attitudes. So who renews our thoughts and attitudes? The Holy Spirit does. He will do the spiritual renewing. You can't do it. I can't do it. The Holy Spirit will uh, give you a spiritual renewing of your mind. He'll change the way you think, which will change your actions. That's why it's vital. That's why we talk all the time about spending time daily with the Lord in prayer, in worship, in the Word. You want to spend time every single day Doing that. Look at the CEV version of Ephesians 4.23. It's on your screens. It's not on your outline. It said, let the Spirit change your way of thinking. So that's the way it works. The Holy Spirit is who changes our thinking. How does he do that? He does it as you get in the Word. But, you know, this is is something God is asking you to do, but he's saying, I will help you do that. I'll help you do that. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to make these changes for us. we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and, and the fruit of the Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Look at Galatians 5.22 on the screens. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit uh, in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As you're living with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, these things ought to emanate out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness. All those things. See, because fruit grows. It's not instant. It grows in us. And, uh, and so that's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, uh, that begins to come out of us. But you don't do that in your own power. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit of God whom you receive at salvation. Now, to really change, you've got to stop thinking like the rest of the world. Look what, look what Paul says in Ephesians 4.17. He said, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Some translations say as uh, wild people or the, the lost people do. For they are hopelessly confused. So people who are not Christians are hopelessly confused is what he's saying. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from God, from the life God gives them because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now, he's describing a lot of our culture, the way our culture lives. We live, we have no shame. We live for lustful pleasure. We're practicing all kinds of impurities. And and that's the way the world wants us to think. 
The world wants us to think that that's okay, but God wants us to think opposite from the way the world thinks. God wants us to be different in the way we treat each other. He wants us to be different in how we handle money. He wants us to be different at work. He wants us to be different when we're talking about our morality. He wants us to be different in the, in the way we treat other people. And another verse that says this in Romans 12 too is one of my favorite verses. He says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. And so we just looked at that. The behavior and customs of this world are immorality's okay, anger's okay. I mean, we, we need to respond differently on Facebook to people than we see other people responding. Have you ever read the comments behind uh, an article on, on NOLA.com? If you haven't, don't. It'll, it'll blow your day. But if you have, they're all, they're all negative. People aren't saying, oh, that's a good article. Oh, no, they're saying stupid stuff. And, and so we need to behave differently as Christians. So he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But look what he said. Let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing Look and perfect. Around. God will transform us by changing the way we think. The brokenness surrounding us. A change in the way we think. And uh, so the if division, you want to be transformed, you can't be conformed. He says, stop being conformed or to the pattern of this world. Don't copy it, but you can be transformed by the renewing or changing of the way you think. And so we want to do that. Paul said this in Ephesians 4.23. He said, let the Spirit change your way of thinking. I mean, are you getting the point? Are you getting the point? We've got to allow God to change us. We've got to allow God to change the way we think. And that's the first step. The second is this. Real change requires learning the truth. Real change requires learning the truth. Look at John 17, 17. He said this, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. See, Jesus asked his father to teach us the truth, which is his word, the Bible. So the secret to personal change isn't willpower. It's not pill power. It's not resolutions. The secret to personal change is in the, in the difficult areas of my life is knowing and applying the truth, which is the word of God in my life. And so we've got to read it, learn it, know it, and apply it in our lives. And I want to tell you tonight, we're talking about the word of God. The Bible is the word of God, every word of it. And so here's the goal. If we spend time with the Lord in his word, Paul shows us the goal in Ephesians 4. 14. He said, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. I see so many people, especially young in their faith, that somebody will come along over here and they'll go over here. Then there'll be some wild belief way over here and they'll come over here. He said, get in the word so you can stay steady and you won't be tossed around uh, by every wind of new teaching. Uh, you know, there, listen, there, there are TV preachers and probably not just TV preachers, but there are people that think that they've got to come up with something that nobody else has come up with. Let me just say this. They can't. They don't even when they think they do because somebody's already been crazy enough to think up what they're trying to push. Okay? And, and so but you need to get in the Word. One of the things we used to talk some of the Bible teachers, older guys like Charles Stanley and stuff like that, Gotta get
will be tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try and trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth of love, growing in every way more and more like Christ the of the church. And so it is necessary for us to know the truth so that we don't And so it's also important because we just said that every behavior is rewarded in some way. Well, those behaviors are based on a lie, uh, and that's not going to have a good outcome. You know, behind every self-defeating behavior that you're going to struggle with in your life is a lie that you're believing, is a lie about yourself, about God, about others that you're believing. And so it's important to know the truth. Paul said this in Ephesians 4.21. He said, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth, that comes from him. So we know truth comes from Jesus. Truth comes from God and from the word of God. And so the more you get to know Jesus, the more you're going to have truth in your life. The fact that Jesus was murdered and then he rose from the dead proves that he is who he said he was. And, uh, let me just say this. And I, I tell inmates this all the time. Uh, when Jesus' resurrection, that's the central most uh, piece of history ever. And uh, when he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples at different times, different people, different times. At one point, he appeared to over 500 people. And that's on record that he appeared to 500 people. If you've got 500 eyewitnesses to any crime, you're winning the court case. You're winning the court case. And, and the guy, that, uh, guy named Simon Greenleaf that determined, he wrote the book on evidence in American courts and in English courts, and, and how you allow something into evidence. And Simon Greenleaf said, there's more evidence to support the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any conviction in the history of our courts. I want you to understand that. And so the resurrection is not some scheme somebody thought up. It's not something that there's, you could prove it in a court of law. And, uh, and so that's what he said. So... We, 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 the more you know about Jesus and the fact that you need to understand what he's saying and just believe it because it's true. If you trust God's word, it'll help you in these four ways. I want to read the scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture, underline that. Is it on your paper? Underline it, circle it, or write down the reference, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God. Even the verses I don't like. I don't like verses that say, consider it all joy when various trials and tribulations come upon you. I don't want to have joy when bad things are happening to me. I'm a wimp. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not tough like Pastor Kathy. She just struggles on through it. I'm, I'm wanting to kick. I mean, you know, I mean, when, when y'all are telling me some of the stories, what people are doing to y'all, I'm wanting to go beat on somebody, you know. I mean, you know, I, it, it, it uh, so, but... He said, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. Listen, write these down. The Bible shows us the path to take. It says it, all scripture is useful to teach us what's true. It's useful to teach us what's true. It shows us what path to take. The Bible also shows us how we got off the path. Uh, it, it shows us, you know, makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. Doesn't necessarily, you know, when I'm reading scripture, it's, I'm not reading scripture and asking God to show me what's wrong in your life. 
You show him what's wrong in mine. He's going to deal with you. He's going to deal with me. And, and so it's going to show me how I got off the path. Number three, it's also going, the Bible shows you how to get back onto the path. He says this, shows you what's wrong in our life. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. You see, it, it shows us how to get back onto the path. And lastly, the Bible will show you how to stay on the path. We need to be in the Word of God, folks. We've got to be in the Word of God every single day. So to make change, uh, the change that we'd like to make or we need to make, it involves allowing the Holy Spirit to help us. It helps, and He helps us get into the Word, learn the Word, and know the truth. And if your life isn't changing, if you're struggling, you're not spending enough time in the Word with the Lord. So we've got to do that. Number three, the third thing uh, that we've got to do first, we've got to, you know, we, we just talked about we've got to be in the Word. Number three is real change requires cleaning house. Some of us are better than others of us at that. Some of us, I remember uh, we took my brother-in-law out to eat one time and his wife had a bunch of people over cleaning their house out. The boys had grown, you know, and to an age and, and they had all this stuff out on the street. And uh, he, I probably would have done the same thing if it was my house. He goes and sees his son's baseball bat. We can't throw this away. This is my son's first peewee baseball bat. And, and his wife is standing at the garage, put the bat down, you know. And, uh, but, you know, it's hard to get rid of stuff. It's hard to get rid of our stuff too, isn't it? And, and so, but it requires cleaning house. And so, like, you know, if I want to be healthy, there are certain things maybe I don't need to eat. Uh, but if, if I want to have a healthy mind, there's probably certain magazines and articles and TV shows and things I don't need to be watching and reading. If you want a healthy schedule, you've got to learn how to prioritize and get rid of things that you don't need to be doing. So we've got to learn how to clean house in, in different ways. St. Augustine said this, Confession of bad works is the beginning of good works. Think about that. Confession of bad works is the beginning of good works. So, uh, you know, we've got we've to confess. That's how we clean out our hearts is we confess those sins to the Lord. And, uh, and so step three is house cleaning. And here's what Paul said about it. Ephesians 4.22, he said, so get rid of your old self. Get rid of your old self, which made, which made you live as you used to. The old self that was being destroyed by deceitful desires. He said, you got to clean that closet out. You got to do some house cleaning. Some heart cleaning. Another verse in Hebrews t- says this. Since we're surrounded by so many examples of faith, we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially sin that distracts us. We must run the race that lies ahead of us and never give up. So he says, get rid of the things that distract us and especially the sin that trips us up. And, and so we've got to get things out of our life. You've got to throw some stuff out of your heart that needs to be thrown out. And, uh, and so uh, I don't know what that means to you, but as you look at these verses and pray, God will show you what you need to stop doing and what you need to start doing. And so uh, you need to look at that. Now let's look at step four. Real change requires honest community. Honest community. You need people in your life that will help you because we can't make lasting change on our own. You know, a small group, we're starting to do more and more small groups. We're trying to move that way a little bit. 
uh, are places where you can be open and honest. You can't, you're in a big room here. You can't share your deepest, darkest secrets in here. Matter of fact, you can't share some of those in a small group. But in those small groups and around these tables up here, you're going to develop a relationship with somebody that you can share. That you can, you can, you can tell them, you can just be honest with them, and they're still going to love you, and they're going to support you, and they're going to help you. Uh, now, that doesn't happen, you know, uh, when you just first go to a group. So don't go walking into one of the small groups and, and think you can just tell them, you know, the worst thing about you. You don't have to do that ever, actually. Uh, you know, you want to go to these groups and just develop friendships, and you'll begin to trust people. Paul said in Ephesians 4.25, he said, what this adds up to then is no more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. After all, so when you lie to others, you're lying to yourself. You know, we waste a lot of time lying and pretending, don't we? We pretend to be something we're not. You know, we, we come to church. Y'all were fighting on the way to church, and we walk in smiling. How you doing? I'm good, but I'm going to kill him on the way home. Listen, we need godly friends that can be honest with us and we can be honest with. And that's our goal for the small groups. To grow, you need, you need to face your fear about being honest with somebody. And it's the only way you're ever going to change and be free. Uh, and so we, we all need people that will help us and who need our help. You may go to a small group and listen, you're at a different level than somebody else is and you can help them. And somebody else might be there that can help you going through this stuff. See, a small group should be a place where you develop relationships where you can be real, where you can practice what Paul said here in 432 Ephesians. He said, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here he says why, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See, I can't throw a rock at you for anything that you say or do because I've got to forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me way more than I'll ever have to forgive you. And so we've got to learn uh, to show that kindness to each other. Listen, this is what this is about. We don't come here just to sing. We come here to show tender-hearted kindness, forgiving each other. And, and, and why? Because Jesus has forgiven us. And so that's, that's, what, that's what happens or ought to happen. That's what we want to be happening at River Church and I believe, I believe we have that. People feel like this is a family where they can be real, where, where they can come in and, and they're accepted no matter what, and you are. And, uh, and so here's another guideline for a small group or for any kind of relationships. Ephesians 4.29, Paul said, don't use foul or abusive language. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Listen, we don't ever need to curse anybody. And then he said this, let everything you say be good and helpful. It's like my mama used to say, if you don't have something good to say, don't say it. You know, anybody's mama ever said that to them or whatever? Maybe you even said that to your kids, you know. He, he says this, we want our words to be helpful to each other. I want everything I do to encourage people. I'm getting up at 4 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning to go encourage deputies at a roll call. And, and so I don't go in there and give them a beat down. 
they got a sergeant that's going to do that. But anyway, I'm going to go in there and try and encourage them. And, uh, and, and then my eyes will roll back in my head at some point. I'll, I'll be like I'm drugged the rest of the day. But that's what we need to do when we interact with each other. We need to be encouraging each other. Listen, if, if the world would just live by that one verse, do you think it would be a better place at work tomorrow? Do you think your house would be a better place? Do you think the world would be a better place? I mean, absolutely. If we just would follow that verse. Listen, we're going to begin groups on Wednesday nights. We're going to come in and worship, and then we're going to go to groups. And eventually, I'm hoping we'll have four, maybe even five groups, depending on, in Jesus' name, we're going to clean these rooms out, okay? And, uh, and, 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 and we'll do some groups, and you can kind of choose. The group Kathy's doing, Me, Myself, and Lies, is awesome. Guys, you cannot go. You've got to come to the fight group. And, uh, and, 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 and fight is not about fighting. It's about fighting the devil. And, uh, and so, but, but that's where we're going to grow, and we're going to grow. And we're going to see how that works. Let me give you some small group rules real quick you can write down because I know how you are about blanks. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. You might say, well, I can't, I can't always do that. Well, you know, if, if somebody's that's sitting out here and you've got two or three friends that want to come to your house and do a, a small group, that's a small group. We've gotten in this idea that we've got to have 50 people at a small group. Great small groups, four, five, six people. And, and uh, the truly spiritual small groups would take my sermon from Sunday and discuss it. Some of y'all paying attention. That's what the spiritual people would be doing. Uh, but, but, you know, if, you're, if you wanted to have two or three people at your house, we'll, we'll help you. So small group rules. Number one, what's said in the group stays in the group. What's said in the group stays in the group. Don't minimize, number two, other people's pain. Part of that way we minimize is somebody will share something and you say, oh, yeah, when that happened to me, you know. How many of you have ever had uh, something, you were sick, and somebody comes over and says, yeah, I know somebody died from that. Isn't that what you really want to hear? Well, Pastor Kathy and I had COVID. A friend of ours did die. That wasn't what we wanted to hear. And now all these texts are going through. Oh, pray for the family. He's got, you know, he's dying of COVID. I'm thinking, well, we're going, <laughs> you know. <and> it, <clears throat> we don't minimize other people's pain. Let me tell you, it might, it might seem silly, but it's not to them. And, uh, and so, and number three is don't try and fix people. Don't try and fix people. Just listen. Just listen. There's something therapeutic, or as Barney Fife would say, therapeutic about listening. We need to listen. Number four is when we're in a small group, we need to focus on our own changes. And then you can write this last one down. Faster change requires coaching or mentoring. That means you've developed a relationship with somebody in that group maybe, or somebody else in the church. You don't need five coaches. You just need one. Somebody that, can, that you can be that honest person with. And they can say, no, I don't think you ought to do that. And you'll accept it. Or somebody can say, hey, what would you think about the daily reading today? And what they're really doing is holding you accountable. Right? Somebody that you can trust to do that with. That can coach you. I mean, think about it. Top singers have voice coaches. Top athletes have a personal trainer. These super CEOs that you see, they all have mentors. And, uh, and so they have somebody that's coached and mentored them 
And I believe we need people in our lives that can help us see our blind spots and, and get us through those. I mean, some biblical examples real quick of this are, are uh, this. Joshua was mentored by Moses. Joshua was a great leader of the Israelites, but Moses mentored him. Elisha was mentored by Elijah. You know, Solomon was mentored by David. David was mentored by Samuel. Let me think about it. The disciples, they were all mentored by Jesus. He's a pretty good mentor, I'd say, good coach. I mean, John, the apostle John, the youngest one, mentored a guy named Polycarp who mentored a guy named Uranus. That was three generations from one guy. I mean, Paul mentored Timothy and then a bunch of other people. Listen to this. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul told Timothy, You have heard me teach these things that have have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Then he says, Now teach these to other trustworthy people who will in turn teach them to others. Three generations. You see, so we need to, and you'll find somebody. You need somebody that can just help you in your growth. Somebody you can ask a question to, and and you know they're not going to ridicule you. You know Whatever it is, they're going to help you with that. And that's what we want to see people develop. And, uh, and, um, and so we want, to, we want to see that. You're benefiting people. Uh, you, listen, you're benefiting right now from people who've mentored and coached me. A guy named John Elder used to, I mean, bless his heart. He, he led me and a bunch of guys to the Lord, and we'd ask him the dumbest questions all the time. And probably still do by email now. But, you know, we'd talk to him, and, and man, he'd just coach us with the Bible. Right on through some of those things. And, and, and a lot of times, the way he'd coach us is we'd come to him asking him something that he had already told us, you know, helped us come to a conclusion about. He said, well, have you done what we talked about last time? No. He said, well, then go do that, and then we'll talk about it. And, and so you need people like that in your life, and you're benefiting from that. So anyway, um, Paul lists five different kinds of mentors and coaches in this passage. Look at Ephesians 4.11. He said, Christ chose some of us to be apostles, prophets, missionaries, pastors, and teachers. And so those, those, those five things, he's, he, uh, you know, people call it five-fold ministry. It's Paul's, these are coaches and mentors. And then here's why he said he's given those. So his people would learn to serve and his body would grow strong. We have these coaches, these mentors that, that Paul's listed here so that we can grow and learn to serve the Lord and the church will be strong. That's why, that's, that's why he's done that. And he said, this will continue until we're united by our faith and by our understanding of the Son of God. Then we will be mature just as Christ is and we'll be completely like him. We know that's going to happen when we see Jesus in the air. And so a prophet's apostles, missionaries, pastors, and teachers. And that's so that the church would be strong and so we'll grow strong in our relationships with the Lord. So if you want to learn and grow and be strong, you need, you need to be here as often as you can. Number one, you need to get in a group. And, and you need to develop relationships with somebody that's like a mentor coach to you. Somebody that's a little bit further. All they got to do is be a little bit further down the road than you are. You know, I'm not going to ask somebody... How to get my teenager through teenagerhood if they hadn't had a teenager. I mean, if your oldest is seven, and I'm talking about what a 13-year-old is doing, you don't know yet. And for those of you that don't have a teenager yet, it's coming. 
One of the good things about youth ministry, we used to say as they grow up and graduate. But anyway, write this down, number six. Real change requires faith. Real change requires faith. <clears throat> You've got to believe that Jesus can change you. You've got to believe Jesus will change you. That with God's help, you can and will be different. You've got to believe that. It requires faith. You've got to believe that God can transform you through his Holy Spirit his word, and his people along with your choices. If you'll do those, you can see great change. Ephesians 3.20 in the Living Bible says, Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more, underline far more, than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest powers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. Let me tell you something. God is able to do more. He's just able to do more. I mean, think of the biggest thing God's telling you to do. He's able to do more than that. God's able to do more than you imagined. We just got to let him do that in our lives. You've got to believe that you can change with God's power. You've got to believe that you can change with God's power. Philippians 4.13, Paul said this, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. That's the amplified version of that. I can do everything through the power of Christ. He infuses that strength into us. See, God's able to do it in us. And let me tell you, this is a can-do attitude based on belief that Jesus can and will do it in your life. We've got to believe that. And, and we've got to know that he can change. Jesus said it like this. It said, then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. Do you have the faith that God can change you? Do you have the faith that God can help you overcome that stronghold in your life? Do you have the faith that God can make you a better man, a better woman, better husband, better wife? See, we get to choose how we'll change. What giants are in your life? What mountains do you need to climb? What qualities do you need God to develop in your life? Just remember, because of your faith, it will happen. You see, you've got to start with your mind. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to change the way you think about God, about yourself, about your sin, and about the change. And then you've got to allow the Word of God to change you. And I believe the groups will help you. And, and, uh, and so you need to get in a group or, or form one. You need to develop a relationship with somebody who can mentor you or coach you. And if you're thinking about doing a group, Pastor Kathy and I are your mentors automatically on that. But... Um, and so you need, to, you need to understand, because of your faith, it will happen. Because of your faith. Do you have the faith to do that tonight? We're going to close with a worship song. I just want you to, if you've got the faith to do that, I want you to raise your hand. you got the faith? Do you, do you believe that God can change you? Do you believe that God can help you overcome the strongholds? Do you believe that God will do it in your life? As they begin to sing, I want us to worship, and I want you to, Maybe you need to come up here to the altar and say, God, I haven't been taking your faith. I haven't been doing what, you, what you've asked me to do. Lord, I need to allow you to change my thinking. Maybe you need to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. You've got you've to allow him to, to begin doing that, and you've got to get in his word and, and begin to allow God to transform you by your thinking. Some of us have stinking thinking, and it affects the rest of us. And, and so we've got to allow God to change that. So I want us to stand up. We're going to worship. 
If you want to come up here and pray and say, I'm ready to commit to God. I'm going to, I'm going to commit to the Lord. I'm going to, Lord, tonight, I'm going to allow you to change the way I think. And I've got the faith to believe that you will change me. And so you just come on up to this altar and we'll pray over uh, everybody. Come up and get at the altar. Just worship with the team. This is the 